Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of our services. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Thank you for being a part. I want to say a quick hello to our West Side campus as well. They have come to the broadcast campus. Let's welcome them right now. Thank you for being here. Some of them have also come to our Rodville campus. We're grateful for that. Let me tell you what's going on. By the way, we've made a decision as a church. It was not an easy decision to make, but you know we have, have been struggling with having the resource base to do a campus there as well as missions effectively together. This has been a tough decision. We've had to think about this for really several years now. And so we finally came to the conclusion that we can do one better than the other more effectively. So here's what we decided. We have great campuses in Corpus Christi already. And so we invited the Westside campus to come over to one of the existing campuses so we can streamline the resources you're giving to the Westside mission and do missions with it exclusively. So we're actually going to up our missions game on the Westside and be even more in the streets, helping the impoverished, helping the homeless by focusing it all on that there and bringing church back over here. Can we just give it up for our amazing Westside people who have a heart to understand that? Thank you for that. We're grateful. By shifting those resources, we are actually going to become more efficient and more effective at really ministering to the hurting and the homeless. But you have my promise, we will never quit taking the love of Jesus to the streets of our cities. I mean that. We're committed to that. So thank you, Westside. Grateful for Pastor Matt and Alexis and, and just thankful for, for all that they have done and, and just leading through this and our whole team. So really, really thankful. I want to do something that may be a little unique to you, but I do believe we're in an unprecedented moment as a nation, and that is that we have um, our leader in the hospital. And so, and I don't care who is in office, I would pray for a president of the United States that is in the hospital. So would you join me as the Bible says to pray for our leaders and let's pray right now for a swift recovery for him. Lord, thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you that you are leading our nation. I pray for President Trump and, and his wife and, and other leaders who have become sick from COVID. I pray for a swift recovery for them. Lord, and no matter who wins this next election, we pray you would bless the leadership of this country. And may we remain under you, Lord, as a nation. Thank you, God, that we can lift up our leaders. And Lord, may we pray for our leaders, whether we voted for them or not. Lord, we know that you anoint who you want in leadership for the season we're in, and we pray your blessings over them. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you for joining me in that. I'm excited about this whole message series we've been in. I told you early on, this is more of a fight series than a family series, because I believe we do have to, especially in today's day and age, fight for our family, fight for what we believe in. And so last week I introduced a set of scripture to you where David was out winning major battles as a leader when he came home and he lost his family and how easy it is for us to be winning in the world while losing at home. And we talked last week about how his men became very sore towards him. They were upset with him. Like, how could you let this happen? They wanted to stone him. They wanted to take their anger out in the wrong way. They become very resentful and how we have to deal with our resentment because that can eat our families alive if we're resentful. If you were not here last week or did not catch that message, I encourage you to get our app and listen to that. That was part one. And uh, towards the end of the message, he went to God, said, God, what should I do? And God said, go after them. That was a big key phrase last week. Go after them, those three words, that it's going to look different for how you pursue your spouse, how you pursue your kids, but we all should be going after our family. Don't give up on family. Don't give up on those that God has put in your family. And so this week, I want to talk about how the very last point last week was to make a plan. This is what that plan begins to look like. So that's what we want to talk about today, picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn there. I'm going to dive right into the scripture. While you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? 
We're to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. So what's the first thing that happens when David has this word from God to go after his family to win them back? What's the very first thing that happens? Guess what happens? Problems. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, as soon as I got serious with God, as soon as I really turned my faith around, as soon as I wanted to really pursue him, bam, everything fell apart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Isn't it amazing how that works? You're like, I'm trying to do the right thing. And the moment I, try, uh, moment I start trying to do the right thing, everything seems to fall apart on me. It's almost like there's an enemy trying to stop us. All of a sudden, things just unravel, problems hit, difficulties come. And it's like, man, I'm just trying to do the right thing, God. Why is this happening? Well, it's very normal. Look what happens in Scripture to David as soon as they set out to go win their families back. Check it out. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Bezor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Now think about that. One third of his army said, King David, we love you. We're just exhausted. We, we, just, we don't have it in us. And I'm sure he's thinking, seriously, we're going after your family. Like we're trying to get your kids back your wives back and, and you're not going to, so now I'm going to go fight for not just my family, but your family too. Let me ask you something in the pursuit of a family member. Have you ever felt like you're the one putting in all the effort, but someone else isn't? You ever felt the way you're like, I'm doing all this and I feel like I'm the only one trying. Have you ever felt like you wanted your child to succeed more than they do? You ever felt like you wanted the marriage to work more than your spouse, right? This is not an uncommon feeling. But I've, I've got some news for you. There's probably a season when they felt more committed to it than you did also. So let's give them a little grace in the season they need it because you probably had that little grace as well from them. But this is important. What David does is really important. Number one, plan for obstacles. We just got to plan for it. It's going to happen. Obstacles happen. And so because of that, you just got to know going in. But what I think is so powerful is that David's exhausted too. He's emotionally drained He's got his men mad at him and he was stressed out and he went to God to get the vision because he was so tired. He's like, Lord, I just need to know what you want me to do. I feel a little bit lost. I have no one to talk to. Remember last week we talked about that? He had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord. And so he was discouraged. He was tired. He's worn out. Maybe you're just emotionally exhausted. You're like, how do I put more energy into this? How do I, how do I keep believing in this family member when I don't really feel it? You know what? I love what David does here. He's exhausted. He's worn out. One third of the men quit. Two thirds said no. They're still family. I'm still going to go after them. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. So he hangs in there and he doesn't cancel the trip. He doesn't say, yeah, you're probably right. We're all tired. Let's just rest. He doesn't do that. He's like, no, I, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to win our families back. And so it's so important that it, it's what we do after we're exhausted that matters. Are we willing to stay faithful? And because he does stay faithful, look what happens next. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. Now, this guy is about to be critical to their success. We're about to discover in the next set of scripture that this man was a slave of one of the men who had attacked David's village and taken all of his family and all his stuff. And so this was a key. What is this? This is a break. And so this is important number two. God will give you a break. Or as we like to say in Christian circles, God will give you a breakthrough. God wants to give you that breakthrough, but this is really important. Your breakthrough always comes after you are tempted to quit. Your breakthrough always happens after you're tired. You don't have any energy left. And God's like, I don't give a breakthrough until you show me you're faithful when you want to quit. Show me you stay at it when everything says not to. When you stay faithful, I will give you a break after you prove to me when you're at the breaking point that you won't quit. Then God gives you a break. 
So many of us quit before our miracle. You have to stay faithful. Aren't you glad the Israelites didn't get to the Red Sea and go, oh, there's, there's a sea here. Let's just turn back. Okay, we give up, Egypt. You got us. We'll come back and be your slaves. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end like that? Instead, they said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep trusting our God. And what did God say? Hey, Moses, you know that stick I gave you? You know, you know that stick in your hand I told you, throw it on the ground, turn to a snake? Remember early on, that was like God giving a little hint that he was with him. He's saying, you're going to have a, a, like a portable miracle with you all the time in that little stick, okay? He threw it on the ground. Some of you know the story. It turns into a snake. God says, now reach back and grab the tail of it. I'd be like, uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like the miracle would be me doing that, right? And so but he reaches back, grabs the tail of the snake. It turns into a stick again. He's like, take that to Pharaoh to show him I'm really with you, right? And so I'm sure there's times when Moses is like, I don't need this dumb stick anymore. But God was like, no, 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 keep that. I got a plan for that. And at just the right time, when they were cornered, when everything was falling apart, and he was just trying to protect God's family, God said, take the stick, walk into the water, and put it in the ground, and watch me do my wonders. And of course, we know the story. He parts the Red Sea. But guess what? The Red Sea didn't part until after they were exhausted, they were worn out, but they kept their faith. We have to keep our faith. Miracles happen after you keep your faith in the face of difficulties. Paul and Silas are stuck in jail for no reason. They were accused of things they didn't do. They shouldn't have been in jail at all. And so they're thrown in the prison, but they kept their faith and sang praises to God anyways. And because of that, God shook the foundation and he released them from the prison, right? And so Elijah, he's exhausted. He's been running and hiding from from uh, the, the king of Israel at the time, who was, who was evil, and, and his wife was even more evil than him. And, and, and he stayed with the faith, though, and they set up a big challenge. He challenged all the false prophets. He built this altar, and then God brought fire from heaven. Boom. What I'm trying to say is this. All, Elijah had to build an altar by himself, right? God didn't do that. God didn't miraculously build it. He was faithful. He used his natural hands to build the altar. Moses used his natural feet to walk all the way up to that Red Sea. Paul and Silas used their natural voices to sing to God. In other words, God does not add his super till you add your natural. You got to do everything you can do first, and then God comes through. So God's like, if you'll keep pursuing them, even though you're tired, even though you're just as exhausted as the other people who quit, if you'll not quit when others do quit, I'll show up and do what only I can do, says your God. He will deliver you. He will give you a breakthrough. And that's exactly what God does. He gives them a break. So what do they do with this guy? This guy's, they just found him lying on the road. He's sick. He looks like he's about to die. Who are you? Right? He's like, oh, so I'm just, I can hardly. So he's like, okay, help him out. Give him some food. Give him something to eat. They nurse him back to health before they ask anything of him. Check out the scripture. It says they gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him food for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days. I mean, three days, no water, no food, and you're already sick. That's how you die. And so they just, he was left for dead. And so look what happens next. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding and we had just burned Ziklag. Put your finger there. So David's like, oh, really? You burned Ziklag? Uh-huh, yeah, I know about that town. That's where my family was. Like you burned my hometown. Now David could have pulled the sword out and been like, oh yeah, you did that? Well, take this. Killed him on the spot. He didn't do that. He was like, whoa, 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 this is a breakthrough. This is a break. We're getting an opportunity here to get the inside scoop on where our enemy is, on where our families are, right? So he nurses him back to health, and he says this, this great question. He says, he says, what, will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So what does David do? What is David's incredible 
skill set he does. Now, this guy is a warrior. David knows how to kill with his bare hands. He is truly a warrior's warrior. He's a soldier's soldier. The, the, his, his team of, of, of uh, army men love him because he knows how to lead them in battle. I mean, this guy is a great leader. He's considered the greatest leader of, of all of Israel. And so what was his secret weapon? You're like, oh, of course we know what it was. He could sling that rock. Well, that was a good, a good uh, one pony trick, but that wasn't a secret weapon, actually. Wasn't slinging a rock. His weapon was wasn't being a warrior. Actually, you know what his true weapon was? And I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you something that's going to change your life. I promise you, this is the secret sauce to getting your family back. This is the secret sauce to promotions, to opportunities, to becoming a leader. This is the secret sauce to people believing in you and looking up to you. Here's the secret sauce. You ready? What is this incredible skill that he knew? Here it is. Be nice. Shocking, isn't it? Let me say it again, because I know it's a lot to take in. I know you're having... I can't, that's just a big word. Be nice. You know why this shouldn't be shocking, but yet it is? Because you know what I find shocking? That many people are not nice to their spouse. They're not nice to their children. They're not nice to the brother and sister. They're not nice to their family. And then they're shocked that those people don't want to be around you. I have to tell pastors this. This blows my mind. Pastors are like, what do you think the key to your church growing so much is? What is it? I'm like, when people come, be nice to them. They're like, wow, that's incredible. I've got to take some notes here. That's brilliant. Let me tell you something that'll shock you, pastors. When people come, don't preach down to them. Don't lecture them. Build them up. And if you'll build people up, they'll come back. If you will learn to be nice to people, they'll be drawn to you. This should not shock us, but for some reason it does. I'm telling you right now, there's a direct correlation between your nice quotient and how far you go in life. It's true. You know that 85% of all job loss is due to people not getting along with their coworkers, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. 85% of your job loss, people lose their job not because they don't know how to do the job, it's because they're not nice. Isn't that amazing? It's a game-changing quality if you'll just learn to be Nice. It's incredible. Just, just think about others. Or as Jesus said, this is how he said it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. We, many of us learn this in Sunday school or kindergarten. This is such a basic principle, but so many of us forget this. And I can tell you this, if you're not nice, don't expect to have family wanting to be around you. But if you'll be nice and care for people. Look, if you're a parent right now of a teenager, when they're 30 and they have kids of their own, are they going to say, hey, honey, we really should go see your parents because you know what? I just love going to get a lecture from them. <laughs> no, they're going to say, if they want to be around you, you know what? Your parents are so encouraging. They just believe in us. They're always building us up, right? But if we're always tearing them down, don't believe in them, guess what? They're not going to be around you. This should be a wake-up call as a parent that we need to build them up. You say, well, you say I, I shouldn't get on them. Oh, no, I mean, the Bible's very clear that the Lord disciplines those he loves. I'm not suggesting there's not curfew and that there's not grounding and there's not discipline. I'm not suggesting any of that, but I'm saying in the middle of all that, build them up. Does that make sense? And so I don't know about you, but I really want someone who believes in me in my life. How about you? Are you that way too? And so we need to pour into them. Now, quick lesson, business lesson. There's, there's something called assets and liabilities. Let me just give you a quick lesson. Maybe you know this, but an asset is anything that puts money in your pocket. 
A liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. Okay, this is why I try to convince people all the time your house is not an asset because it's costing you money. Now, if you have another house and there's rent coming in and it covers all the bills and it puts something in your pocket, that is an asset. Okay, so if assets pour into you, liabilities just take from you. Let me ask you about your family life. Are you an asset to your spouse or a liability? Are you an asset to your parents or a liability? Are you an asset to your brother and your sister or a liability? Am I an asset to my family, pouring into them, or am I simply taking, or am I just a liability? Now, you know, think, well, that makes it sound like people are just going to use me. No, I'm going to make it that way because we all should be pouring into one another. So, so, you know, you've been coming to church here for a while. Thank you for being a part of our church. Are you an asset? Do you pour into the kingdom of God, pour into the mission, pour into the cause, or are you simply a liability? You come and you just simply take, you partake. We're, we're glad you receive. We want you to receive. We're, we're gladly giving to you and we want you to do that. But for us to become an effective church, we need more assets than liabilities. Does that make sense? So we can pour into the kingdom of God. Am I helping advance the cause of Christ or am I simply sucking off it? So are we an asset or a liability? This question, if you'll think about this question, it will change your life. Am I pouring into others to where I'm an asset to them? Is, is my wife better off having me in her life or worse off having me in her life? Are my kids better off or worse off? This is why, this is why I wanna to talk to young people real quick. I tell young people all the time, you gotta to learn to be nice to your brother and your sister. Why? Because you're learning to be an asset to someone in your family rather than just a liability. Are you always cutting them down? You're always knocking, telling them how dumb they are, how stupid they are, how ugly they are? Or are you building them up, telling them how strong they are, how great they are, how pretty they are, how awesome they are? Which one is it? Are you an asset or a liability? Now, listen, I remember being a young person. I remember I had an older sister than me. And so I remember she would pick on me. And let me tell you something. I was the victim, okay? <laughs> I never did anything wrong. It was all her. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Who's the baby in the family in here? Anybody, baby, any babies? See, we're victims. Raise your hand, all those victims out there. Yes. Anyways, she used to pick on me like crazy. Now, I drove her crazy at the same time, and we would just go at it like crazy. And my mom, one day she sat us down, she was so upset, she said, that's it. I am done. I'll never forget this day. My mother was so upset, she's like, you are not going to fight any longer. Now, I wish I could say that that was the day that changed everything. Not necessarily. But I will tell you this, my sister, I love her dearly to this day. And I will tell you this, my mom said something. She just said, one day, family is all you're really going to have when the chips are down. That is really true, isn't it? It's true. Even if you just, I'm telling you all the young people in here who, who just right now, you're like, oh, I can't steal my brother, my sister. That will change. There will be a day you will do anything for them. It's really true. Why? It's family. You stick with your family. And so it's a reality. And so if we learn to love one another, it's a game changer. Now let me talk to young people for a second on this whole be nice thing. So that's number three, be nice and considerate of others. Let me just talk to the young people. I don't care if you're 13, 15, 17, whatever. Talk to students for a second. Let me tell you what this is important to learn, get along. And be nice to your parents, be nice to your siblings. This is a big deal, okay? This is family lesson number one. The way you learn to be a considerate, caring spouse is to be a considerate, caring brother or sister. Okay. Now, let me tell you, some of you are like, I just do what I want. I don't care what my parents think. They're, they're stupid. They're whatever. And many of us thought that about some of our parents' decisions. It drove us crazy. But that's because you don't realize this. I'm not trying to cut you down. I'm just trying to explain to you the difference because your parents, they don't want to tell you this. They want to kind of keep it a secret, but they did dumb stuff too. 
We'd like to believe we didn't, but, but we did dumb stuff too. You see, when you're growing up, the last part of your brain to develop, the last part is the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe, psychologists call the frontal lobe the consequence part of your brain. This is why when you're 15, you're like, let's do this. And your parents are like, no, 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 bad idea. Because they have a developed consequence piece that says, if you do that, this happens to you. And we, as 15-year-olds, are like, no, we'll be good, we're fine. Because that's not developed yet. This makes sense. I'm not cutting you down. I'm just explaining to you, really, this is what happens. So the older we get, the less we have to rely upon our parents putting the brakes on certain things because we'll have our own braking system developed where we realize, yeah, that's not such a good idea. And so, but it takes time. This is why you think your parents are just such a bore and they're always telling you no and they just, you always do shoot my, my dreams. It's not, we, we love your dreams, but your dream to jump the Grand Canyon is not really a smart dream. So <laughs> we're just trying to help you in some areas. Does that make sense? And so that's the difference. But let me tell you, this is really important. Students, listen to this, please. Right now, you have an advantage. Your advantage is that no matter what you do, how bad you treat your mom today, you can look at your mom and say, I hate you. And some kids do. It's very painful for the mom and dad to hear that. Or you can be rude and cuss them out and be a jerk and break all the rules and ignore curfew and destroy stuff. You can just do all that stuff. And it's amazing how your mom and dad <laughs> still provide for you and still take care of you and still put food on the table and still make sure you got clean socks and underwear in your drawer. And I mean, it's just like, wow, I just do all this. I treat them like garbage and they're still nice to me. That's because you have a built-in advantage over your parents. Here's the built-in advantage. They birthed you. So no matter what you do, they're going to love you. This is why the mom you know, always gets up with all the cameras in front of him to the convicted felon that killed five people. And he says, I just love my baby. He's really a good guy. And we're all going, are you serious? Like there's pictures of him with a knife in his hand. What are you? And it's because why? She birthed him. It's built in us just to love you no matter what you do. That's a great advantage in your kid. It becomes a disadvantage when you grow up and get married and you start to treat your spouse just like you treated your mom and your dad and your brother and sister. And then you're shocked when they leave you. But you see, they didn't give birth to you. They don't have to stick around. Does that make sense? So the lab for your future is already in session and how you are as a kid in your family to typically how you will do as an adult in your family. So if we learn to be loving, even when we don't feel like we really like it or have to be, but if we just do it because it's who we are, do it because it's the right thing, do it because it's the heart of Christ, then one day when you're married and you just are mm, like for wits in with your spouse, you will be, I'm going to love him anyways. I'm going to serve him anyways because it's who I am. And this commitment I made, and in those feelings that, of love that you feel like went away, they will come back again because you acted in love whether you felt like it or not. And so you act in love and the feelings come, and you act in love and the feelings come, and it's, it's a cycle. You say, are you trying to say you have to work at marriage? Yes. But you don't realize it, but even when you were dating, you had to work at it. You thought, no, I didn't work at it. We just, we just fell in love. No, you fell in love because you did everything for each other constantly. Okay, and so he cleaned his car, meticulously perfect, made sure he smelled nice, got a fresh shape, got dressed up, spent crazy money on you when he picked you up, right? He took, took you out, did all this, he had all these plans laid out. You ladies laid 17 outfits out on the bed to pick out which one you're gonna, you start getting ready at three, you know, for the date at seven. And then you, he picks you up and he's like, whoa, you look amazing. She's like, oh, this whole thing, I just threw it on. 
And so you planned meticulously and poured everything into this. And so because of all that effort, the date goes well, right? And so you're like, wow, she's amazing. Went out to eat and all she ate was a salad. Yeah, well, she ordered a pizza when, she, when you dropped her off. <laughs> but you're putting your best foot forward. I sound so jaded. I'm sorry. I don't, that sounds so bad. Anyway. But the, the truth is this, is that we forget that we're doing all these actions of love. And so surprise, surprise, the feelings of love are there too. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to say the tingles go away. They don't. But guess what? They will if you don't keep acting in love. And so it's a cycle. And right now, I can't tell you sometimes whether I'm acting or feeling because it's all so intertwined. If you get it going in the same direction, then I'm just, I mean, over and over, I'm like, sometimes I'm just acting in love. Sometimes I just feel it. And most of the time I just feel it because it's just, it's just ongoing. And so now I don't know where the action and the feelings begin or end. It just all winds together. And I'm just in love by continuing to act that way. Does that make sense? And so pour your action into it. Now, my wife is easy to love. But I will tell you this, everyone has to learn the actions of love. And the best place to learn it, believe it or not, is way before you meet your spouse. It's in your family. That is the laboratory of what you become as an adult. For some of us, that should be a wake-up call. For some of us, you look and go, huh, okay, I'm doing all right in this area. So I just want to challenge you with this because we either are selfish or selfless. We either are an asset or a liability, depending upon whether we are nice and considerate of other people. Can I give you a way to jump your likability by 19% instantly with someone? Anybody want to know that? Like, whoa, I can jump my likability with my boss 19% instantly? Yep. You can jump 19% in, in, in your likability with your spouse, with the kid that's frustrating you or, or they're frustrated with you. You can jump 19%. How is this possible? That research is done. There's a study. There's one sentence. If you'll say it and mean it, you have to mean it, but if you will really mean this, it will jump your likability by 19%. Is anyone excited to hear about this? Does anyone care to know this? I mean, I think this is good stuff. I'm going to help you improve your odds. Here is the phrase you can use. Again, if you mean it, if it seems manipulative, it will not work. It will backfire. But if you truly mean this, it really will jump your likability by 19% with whoever you're talking with, whoever you care about, whoever you're trying to get back in good relationship with. Here's the phrase. You ready? Here it is. You got to mean it though. Here it is. I can really put myself in your shoes. I can really understand where you're coming from. If you will say to someone, you know what? I can really put myself in your shoes. I, I, I think I understand how you're seeing this. By simply understanding and communicating that to someone else that you love, that you maybe are estranged with and want to get that relationship back, if you will do that, your, your percentage chances immediately jump 19%. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That's a big jump. It is a game changer. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that everyone is tuned in to the same radio station because you're a human. All of us have it written on our forehead. You just can't see it. I want to help you see it. Here's what everyone has on their forehead. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? So let me ask you a question. When I think about my spouse, what's in it for her to be married to me? What's in it for my kids to have me as her dad? What's in it for you to come hear me preach? What's in it for this community that I'm here? Does that make sense? If you will begin to say, how can I make sure it is a benefit to be around you. If you say, I, I want to be a benefit to my spouse. I want to be a benefit to my kids. I want to be a benefit to my parents. I want to be a benefit to my friends. I want to, I want to pour into them. If you will begin to do that, eventually people will look to you and trust you. You will build that trust back. If you begin to pour into your community, 
uh, into your office, when, when you go to work, if you begin to say, how can, I know my boss has got what's in it for me on this forehead or on her forehead, what does she need me to do to help her succeed? If you begin to help her succeed, help him succeed, guess what? They will eventually call you a leader and promote you. If you are always saying, how can my presence in this community improve the community? What can I do to make the community better? Eventually your community will call you a leader. Does that make sense? We have politicians cycling through our church about this time of year. I want to help you not by endorsing you. I want to help you jump 19% with the people that you want to vote. That'd be a great jump. That would be enough to win probably versus your opponent. Here's how you do it. If you can learn to communicate, mean it, and back it up, that I understand where you're at, what you're looking for as a voter, and I want to help meet that need. If you can do that, you will always stay in office. We've got to get our eyes off of what we want and get our eyes on what others need. If we'll do that, it changes everything. So once again, what did David do that was so revolutionary? He was nice. He blessed other people. I don't have time to go into this message, but I will tell you this. Every time he got plunder from a great victory, you know, he sent it to other kingdoms. What'd that do? That gave them loyalty towards him. He's like, hey, I just, I just won this great victory, but instead of keeping it all for myself, I want to send it out to you guys. Hope this helps your cities. Hope this helps your town. And guess what? Because of that, all the kingdoms were brought together under his rule. Whenever he became leader, they were like, yeah, I love David. He sends me gifts all the time. He's always hooking me up. He's always thinking of us. We're just in a small little town in the middle of nowhere, you know, way on the, way in the, very, you know, way in the east side, way in the south side here in Jerusalem. And, and he, say, he thinks about us. So yeah, I'm cool with him being my king. No problem. And so he thought about others, and by doing it, it became a game changer. And I would say the opposite of this too. What is the opposite of being nice? Being a jerk. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> the saying's really simple. You're like, I mean, kind of simple advice. Then why don't we follow it? If we all know this innately, then why don't, we, why don't we follow this? It's a game changer. Just simply thinking about others can really change everything. Now, the next thing I think is critical, but I love this because it's a promise from God. I love to find God's promises in the word, and here's a promise that God gives us, okay? So David goes to this guy. He's nice to him. He helps build him up. He says, hey, will you help us? Will you bring us to uh, your master, to the army that, that, that defeated my town, that took all our wives and kids? And would, you, would you show us where they are? He says, yeah, if you're nice to me, I will. Thank you. You've already been nice to me. Now, if you just if you don't kill me, don't turn me back over to my master because he'll kill me. So please don't do that. He's like, yeah, we got you. We'll cover you. I promise. We'll protect you. Just, just show us where they are because he was nice. He had that inside scoop, and it told them where they were. Now, look at the scripture. This is a powerful lesson for all of us. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. That means basically the Philistines, okay, that's Iran, that's Iraq, that's Gaza, okay? That would be the modern-day words for those. That would be those areas, okay? That's, that would be the Philistia area. And so these people went in and attacked Judah. That's Israel and took all the women and children and all their stuff. They went and attacked Philistia and took all their women and children and all their stuff too. And so then now they were sitting around, partying, drinking it up, having a good time, smoking whatever they could smoke, doing whatever they could do. This is foolishness at the highest level. You are an idiot if you live in the Middle East and you pick a fight with Israel and Gaza. Do you want to die fast? That is a great way to do it. So let me think, you know what I'm gonna do? That? I'm gonna pick a fight with Afghanistan uh, let's see, let me pick a fight with Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Let's do that. How do you think it's going to turn out? What you give out in life, you get back. So if everyone, everywhere, you just taking and I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking. Yeah, it's all mine. It's all about me. 
what do you think those people are going to do to you? They're going to reciprocate. You know why? Because you're only successful in life if people around you want you to be. That's how it works. So surprise, surprise, one of the guys there discarded this guy, said, you're useless to me. You used to serve me. Now you're just a sick, whatever. You just get threw him to the wayside. And so surprise, surprise, that guy turned on him and said, I'll tell you where he is if you'll kill him. David's like, oh, I can do that. I specialize in that. If you'll just tell me where they are. And guess what? You know what? I don't know you, King David, but you've been loyal to me. I was sick. You could have just killed me. You could have just ran me through with your knife at any point. You, you could have done that. You didn't do that. You saw that I was sick and hurting. You helped me build me back up. My loyalty is now with you. The Bible says never let love and loyalty leave you. We forget that loyalty matters. When we're disloyal to people, it will come back to hurt us, including family. We need to be loyal to one another, okay? And so he is loyal, and this guy turns on his master and says, I'll tell you right where they are. So what happens next? David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them. So I looked up the Greek word for slaughter. It means kill, pretty much. That's what it means. It means they all caught. It means they all died. Okay, so, so he killed them all. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David. David got not only the plunder that, that was theirs originally, he got the plunder from, from the Philistines that they had taken as well. So he got more than back. And here's what I want to say to you. In, in today's season of COVID-19, I believe God has a message for you today, and this is his message. If you will go back and get your family in order and pursue them and go after them, I will give you the job back, the family back, the marriage back, and then some. I will restore you to more than you had before. God does not want to take you back in your marriage I just wish you could get back to the way it used to be. No, he wants to make it better. That's why things fell apart is because it wasn't as good as you maybe thought it was. He doesn't want to take you back to a relationship you used to have with your kids and wants to make it better. You know why? Don't you think you appreciate your spouse a little more if they were stolen from you and you get them back? Can you imagine how David must have hugged his kids now like, I thought I'd lost you forever. And they have you. Just something about it. We just appreciate what we almost lose so much more. We forget that one day we'll stand before God. And he's going to ask us, not only what do we do with Jesus, that's question number one on the final exam we'll face God with. And he's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? And if we say, I received him as my Lord and my Savior. And he says, come on in. I have a place for you. I built for you. I have, a, I have a mansion for you. Please come in. Or if we say, I rejected him. I did not receive him. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But there's going to be some more questions after that. And I believe one of those questions is going to be, you know what? The Bible says, so therefore, God says, children are a gift from the Lord. It says that in Psalms 127. I gave you a gift. What'd you do with the gift I gave you? I gave you a spouse. What'd you do with that? We cannot fix yesterday, but from this day on, we can say, God, I honored what you gave me. I poured into who you gave me. I'm blessed to have my family. Number four, if you will take massive action. You can win your family back and have it be better than before. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just take a moment to pray? My prayer for you is that you will see the gift of your family. Maybe you're sitting by your spouse. This is a great time just to reach over and squeeze them appropriately. We're in church, appropriately. <laughs> Husbands, you can squeeze later, whatever you'd like. That's between you and the Lord and your spouse. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. 
I want to encourage you right now, this is a great time to reach your arm around your spouse or hold the hand of your son or daughter and just say thank you for the gift you are from the Lord. Thank you, God, that you've gifted me with family. I need to tell you something. This may bring up some tears, and I do apologize for that, but I want to say this. Maybe the reason you should thank God that you're sitting next to your family is because there's other people in the room today that wish they could say that, that wish they had some years back, that wish they had some time back with their mom or their dad or their spouse or their child. Thank you, God, for the years I have. You know, dads kind of get grumpy as we get older. I've been told I get a little grumpy. I come home a little frustrated. Oh, these dirty socks laying in the middle of the living room and spilt milk and the garage is a mess and didn't take the garbage out. And, oh. and then sometimes God just prompts me and stops me and says, aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful for spilt milk? For smelly socks? For trash that's piling up? Because there's going to be a day that my house is perfectly clean. And it's going to be because my kids are gone. So God, I thank you for spilt milk. I thank you for teenage drama. I thank you for messes because you've given me incredible children. I thank you, God, for a messy house. I thank you, God, for my family. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe your prayer today is you just say, thank you, God. May I learn to appreciate all the people you've put in my life. How grateful I am to have them. Those of you who have never received Christ, he went after you. When he knew we were sinners and we could not go to heaven because we're not perfect, because we're not sinless, Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross to pay the price tag for our sin. He had never committed a sin. He paid the price for our sin therefore making a way for us to be in heaven through him, through what he has done on our behalf. He paid the train ticket so you could get on, so you could come to heaven through Christ. The Bible is very clear about this. He died and he rose again, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. You can receive Christ by praying this very simple prayer. Pray this prayer with me. If you've never prayed before, you can pray this out loud. We're gonna lead you in this prayer across all of our campuses, those who are watching online. Pray this prayer. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for adopting me in to your family. I receive you. I repent of my sin. I put you in first place. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.